Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing this morning? Good. It's good to see you all. It's our hope and, and trust that uh, you guys have been engaging and, and following along in our different series that we've been doing. Uh, as Derek said last week, we're coming out of a sermon series called Touching the Father's Heart. And I'm so excited that uh, next week we're starting a brand new series for Advent called The Humble King, and it might look a little bit different than series that we've done in the past. I don't know if you saw the email, um, but we're sending out devotionals to you guys to read, to engage with, and then as we meet on Sunday mornings, um, you guys will have a little bit of that, that background, and we'll be able to engage together, hopefully, in uh, some new, fresh ways. I'm really excited about that. Derek, last week, shared the tagline, In Transition, as you see on the screen there. And uh, he alluded to the fact that globally we are in a time of transition and change. As a church body here at EPMC, we know we are certainly in a time of transition as we navigate new leadership, new governance models, all sorts of new things. And I thought it was good that Derek even said that his sermon last week was what he called a sermon in transition um, just because he was filling in on short notice. And Derek, that was really awesome. Uh, we really appreciate you, buddy, and the gifts that you have and, and bring to EPMC to serve in the way that you do. <clears throat> I think it's safe to say that in the past eight months or so, pretty much everything seems to be in transition. Um, even though this isn't an official not really doing like an official mini-series or anything, but I'm going to just keep it rolling with this in transition because I really feel like there's something there that God is continuing to speak into our context. Through all that we've been going through globally and here at EPMC, it's just very interesting that, that God in, in my life has had me anchored in the book of Exodus. Uh, through that book, I believe that God is, is showing some things to the church. Um, I believe that we can also find parallels of things that God, are God is inviting us into as individuals and as the local church, e EPMC. It probably wouldn't take long, as, as I said in the book Exodus, you don't have to be a genius or a Bible scholar to start drawing some comparisons with what's going on in the book of Exodus to where we are uh, today in our world, and just the idea of, of being in a desert, being in a wilderness, being in a state of waiting. Can anybody relate to that in the past eight months or so? Feel like, huh, we've been going through a bit of a wilderness, huh? I think pastor and author Jeff Mannion has nicknamed this time of uh, wilderness as the land between. He, he wrote a book called The Land Between, and I am going to kind of share that because I really love that description. Uh, the book was written years and years ago before all of this started taking place, but I feel his words and, and some of his, uh, his readings and his work it goes really well with what's going on today in our world and also at EPMC. Right, he speaks of this in-between space of between uh, deliverance and inheritance, or for our contents, context, in between building our cabin and tenting, 
which Derek shared a little bit about last week, in between bridge team and our next governance model, or just in between our online services and just doing everything that we can to continue to meet in person. We're in this weird space in between, the land between. At first glance, nobody likes the desert. Nobody likes the wilderness. The desert is hard. See, the desert is an undesirable space between two more desirable spaces. For the Israelites, it was a barren wilderness that separated Egypt from Canaan. And although Egypt was the land of slavery and pain and agony, it was also brimming with lush vegetation, and there was a lot of good things going on there in Egypt, economically. As the Israelites moved from prosperous, lush homes of their past into the prosperous, lush, fertile homes of their future, they have to pass through the desert. There's no choice. The desert is never meant to be the final destination, but rather it's that necessary middle space where Israel is formed as a people and establishes their relationship and their connection with God. So stick with me today. I'm going to be looking at a couple of questions here. What is God doing? How is he moving? And what is the purpose of this wilderness? What's the purpose of this land between? And just to give you a quick snapshot of where I'm headed today, um, we're going to look at and explore the wilderness as a test of trust, as a transformative journey, and as a testimony or an example to the people. So, test of trust. I invite you to read with me as it's up on the screen, or whether you want to open your Bibles or get on your phones this morning. We're going to be looking at Exodus 22 through 27. And it's captioned, Bitter Water Made Sweet. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. This is not good. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, they named it Marah. Marah meaning bitter there. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. He threw the log into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do, which, do that which is right in his eyes, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians." For I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees. And they encamped there by the water. Sounds like a pretty good spot to hang out. Three different times throughout the book of Exodus that I found in my readings, God called this time a test. So it wasn't like just one, one mention of, yeah, I'm just kind of testing you guys, but this is something that God wants to draw our attention to and something that he's really doing. It's a test all about our trust. 
let's look at the next chapter as we look at a specific example of how God was testing the trust of the people. Uh, Exodus 16, 4, and then we're going to jump down to verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. There is another example, test them. Jumping down to verse 16, this is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. So the test here, the test was to see if the Israelites could trust in God's provision for them. I think it was interesting, I noticed that verse 16, right, God said to them, take what you need. He didn't say, take what you want or take what you will, just take what you need. Things don't turn out well if we go outside of God's intent and his purposes the people's reaction, how they behaved in that situation said, I know better than God. They said, God doesn't know, or maybe God doesn't realize what I need. So what, what happened then, right? The verse tells us that the extra stuff that was gathered outside of what God had planned huh, began to it stunk, right? And it was full of maggots. It was ruined, are there times in our lives when God's provisions don't meet our expectations and we act in a similar manner? See, often in the land between, whether that be focusing on the, the COVID aspect of where we're at now, whether that's just other hard, hard places we find ourselves in life, um, whether it's transitions in our, in our church, whatever it may be, often the land between affects things like our job, our finances, our comforts, our freedoms, our conveniences. And unfortunately, sometimes as a people, we can tend to have a little bit of entitlement around those things, right? What, what we think that we deserve. We ask questions like, why does my business have to struggle, right? I've been doing really, really well, and then this COVID thing came along, and we're not quite making the profits that we were a little bit, a little bit ago before this, but God is still there and he is, he is still providing. It might not be the way that we want him to, but God has given us what we need, not necessarily the abundance of what we want. He is still good. Maybe it's questions like, well, when are we going to get a new pastor, right? The bridge team thing was cool for a while, but I'm really ready to get back to the stability and the consistency of having a lead pastor when it comes to things like teaching and preaching and leading and governance. 
God continues to provide, even though it can be really hard. See, the water is bitter, and we don't like how it tastes. It's what we need, but we refuse it. Right in that first verse that we read, it didn't say that if the people would drink the water, they would all, it was like poison and they would die right on the spot, right? The only thing that was wrong with the water was it was bitter. They, they didn't like the taste of it. So, you know what? This is life-giving. I need this. But because it's not what my expectation is, because it's not what I like, what I would do, what, how, how I want my water to taste, you know, I'm going to refuse it. And God needs to provide another way. <clears throat> Sometimes we like how things were in the past, how they were in Egypt. We forget about what is doing in the here and now, preparing us for what is ahead, which is create, uh, together creating something new, is the phrase that our our church has kind of made in this season. So that's the test. Trusting in God's provision, no matter what. Even when it's hard, even when it doesn't meet our expectations, God, thank you for giving us what we need. Point number two, it's a transformative journey that we go on. See, I think so often, uh, when we look at the book of Exodus, the, the miracle that we see, the, the big work that jumps off the page and that we really focus on is what leads up to the crossing of the Red Sea and the Red Sea, right? That's the big work that God does. Yes, that was an amazing miracle, but I think the bigger work was what was yet to come. It was the transformative journey that God was about to lead the people, uh, you know, through the desert, the way that uh, God was shaping them. See, Moses could get the slaves out of Egypt but he couldn't get Egypt out of the slaves. I think we often respond so harshly when we read this passage, like, those Israelites, what's, what's their deal, right? We, they, God is showing up in real and tangible ways and making it so clear. He is literally speaking to them or through Moses, and time after time again, they're, they're messing it up. Why? I mean, they're, the, they're God's chosen people, for goodness sake, why can't they get this right? Here's the thing. At this point, I think in many ways, they were more Egyptian than they were Israelites, right? They were Israelites by blood. That's who they were biologically. But for the past 430 years, Egyptian lifestyle and culture had been all they had known. Right? And I don't even know like how many generations and generations and generations, how many great, 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 you know, grandmothers and grandfathers they would have that the only thing they would have known was Egyptian. Everything would have been Egyptian. And now all of a sudden, you know, there's an expectation that you have to, you know, walk with God, be, be an Israelite. And so that, could, that was very challenging for them. They were much more acclimated to the world of Egyptian idolatry than they were formed by the character and presence of God. Author and pastor John Ortberg says it this way, the primary will of God has more to do with our character than our circumstances. And I, I know that's a very, very hard 
thing, a hard pill to swallow sometimes, because to us as people, you know, we're more concerned about our circumstances. Where are we going to get our next lunch? Where are we going to get our next, you know, meal to eat? Where are we going to sleep? How are we going to pay the next bill? Those things are very, very important, but God is in the business of shaping our character. We must remember that God is doing a work in us, helping us to trust in him and building our character to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. We can't shorten the wilderness experience, but we can lengthen it. We can't shorten our wilderness experience, but we can lengthen it. How do we do that? By not trusting in God and what he's doing in our lives, right? Historically, the journey from Egypt to Canaan on foot should have taken about 11 days of travel. But because the Israelites were so resistant to the transformative work of God, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. We need to be attentive to the work that God is doing in our lives, so I, I want to make a comparison. I want to make an analogy here, if you will. Um, I have my ring. And if you, look, if you look at my ring, or your ring, or any ring, right, at first glance, it looks like it's all made up of the same thing. It looks like it's gold. Mine's, mine's white gold. But it looks like there are, it, it doesn't look, you can't really see anything else in it. It just, just looks gold. My ring is 10 carat, which means... 10 out of the 24 carats are real gold. The remaining 14 carats are fillers, impurities, other metals such as copper, zinc, all sorts, all sorts of things. So if I were to put my ring in a furnace and melt it down, because there's other metals, uh, those impurities are a lighter molecular weight and so they're the ones that come to the surface first. Little, uh, little science lesson today. Uh, God sometimes does that same thing in our lives. God will sometimes bring us to this place, bring us to the desert, bring us to the furnace of affliction to reveal the things that are inside of us that are invisible. Right? They were there all along. What, whatever that may be in your life that, that God is working to shape and form, whether it be anger or bitterness, or I mean, the, the list goes on, but because of your circumstances, God brings those things to the surface to shape your character. God wants us to deal with them, but it's our choice what happens next. Often, we don't realize the situation that we're in. We're not realizing the transformative work that God's doing in the situation. So, as the trial cools down, as the metal cools down, things disappear again, turning invisible. So God, not wanting to give up on us, not wanting to abandon us, brings other trials into our life to once again bring about the things that need worked on as he looks to transform and shape our hearts. Lastly, it's a testimony for the people. It's an example. It's to show us the right way. Paul talks about this 
Exodus, in 1 Corinthians 10, 6-10, and he writes about the reasons that the Israelites were not allowed to enter the promised land. Read with me. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did, do not... Uh, not to be idolaters, as some were, as it is written. Uh, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, and not grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. As Paul gave us that list, I made this observation. That these people, this, this people group of however many, were in the desert and in the wandering for 40 years. Just because they were people and had a sin nature, I'm sure that there were plenty of sins going on. Probably everything that we can think of sin-wise probably got done at one point or another during those 40 years. And Paul could, have wrote, Paul could have written about those things, but he chose to mention these four. What were they again? Idolatry, sexual immorality, testing God, and grumbling, which is also known as complaining, right? And here's where my mind goes with it. And it, it, I'm, I'm still, it, it just... It blows my mind today that most of those things seem really, really bad. We have an understanding that sexual immorality is not good. We have an understanding that idolatry is not good. Putting God to the test, saying, God, I don't believe you unless you do this for me. I understand that's easy to say, yeah, we shouldn't do that. That's not good, right? But what's the fourth one on the list that, that scares me in my personal life, right? Complaining, for some reason, was seen just as bad as the other sins listed there. What we understand from Paul's writing is complaining is a big, big deal in the eyes of God. And it's especially easy to fall into that temptation when we find ourselves in the wilderness, when we find ourselves in the land between. Here's a quote from Jeff Mannion. Jeff Mannion's the guy I mentioned first. He's the land between guy. We may think that nothing grows in the desert, but make no mistake, the land between is a fertile ground for complaint. At face value, complaining doesn't seem like much of a crime. Surely it must fall into the, category, or the misdemeanor category. The Israelites were not merely griping about food. They were complaining against God. They were not simply rejecting the food, they were rejecting God. Their complaint about manna accompanied with their longing for Egypt implied, God, we are better off in Egypt. We are better off with, without you. Something in their complaint bordered on cosmic treason. Wow, that's, that's not, a, uh, that's not a, light, a light quote to read. The Israelites fell into a dangerous cycle, right? 
three complaints in three chapters. Exodus chapter 15 was the water. Exodus chapter 16 was the food. Exodus chapter 17 was the water again. And it became a pattern. Notice the cycle here, that there was a crisis, and then there was grumbling, always followed by God's provision. See, I believe that in this wilderness, in this desert, God was really trying to shape the Israelites to trust in him. They were supposed to be learning this journey of trust all along the way, but it seemed like that their experiences were going wasted. That is one of the scariest things to me. Being in the wilderness and facing trial after trial, right? Life is hard. Things are not going my way. I'm struggling here, God. What is going on? But all along, you're not knowing that God is trying to do something in you, that God is trying to shape us. See, sometimes when, when we lengthen that wilderness experience, I get it. Like, to, to be able to take inventory, it forces us to take inventory of ourselves to say, what's going on in my life? And I have to deal with it right here and there. And that's not fun. That is, that's really challenging to do. But what I'm being taught through, through, these, through this scripture and through these verses is it's better to face that discomfort, if you will, and take care of those things in our lives to make us more like Christ rather than God just having to give trial after trial after trial because he's not going to abandon us. He's not going to forsake us. He wants to shape us in his image. And that's how we are pruned. That's how we are developed. That's how we are shaped. I want to offer some encouragement, though, in these things because, yes, it's, it's a test. Yes, it's um, it's a journey of transformation, and it's a testimony to us to say, this is an example, this is what they did, we need to do a good job in this if we want to see our, you know, promises, promised land, whatever analogy we'd like to make there. But here, I love this, in Isaiah 40, 3-5, and it's called the comfort of God's people. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the uneven ground shall become level. The, the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, that all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. See, this is the greatest, oh, I love this. We see it in all different people. Moses in the burning bush. Uh, lots of ways of mer- in Moses, not just the burning bush. But, right, God shows up and reveals himself to Moses in the desert, in the wilderness, in the land between. In Daniel, God shows up, right? He's in his wilderness. He's in the lion's den. And God shows up and reveals himself to Daniel. Joseph. Joseph is locked up in prison, cannot get out. He's forgotten about right? But God reveals himself in that, prison, uh, in that prison and shows up to allow Joseph to interpret dreams. God shows up in the wilderness in big and powerful ways. That is the most important thing. 
Wilderness is a highway to God, a highway of transformation, a highway of revelation, and a highway of growth. Your desert can be a fruitful place, like Elam that we read about, where we said it was 12 springs of water and 70 palm uh, palm trees. This is where God's glory is revealed. He is speaking, he is shaping us, and we have to just listen and pay attention to what he speaks into our lives, into our church, into our families. As Christians, at least in my life, I feel like our day-to-day, you know, whether, whether that be our, our devotional time, whether that be times in our prayer closet, whether that be uh, being part of a worship experience at church, our worship gathering, whether that be our, our, our time in Sunday school where, where we are being encouraged, where we are being fed, um, right? Those are the times that we see incremental growth. So just little bit, baby steps, right? The most exciting part, even though the desert is so hard, the desert is exciting because that is where exponential growth happens. It's not just always incremental growth, but in the desert we have exponential growth. This is where breakthrough happens because we come to a place where we need to choose to trust God in ways that we never have before, right? And I've seen it in our church already with just where we're at. People stepping up, using their gifts, using their callings to lead and serve in new ways, whether that be preaching, whether that be teaching in Sunday school, whether that be leading worship, whether that just be volunteering in a new way, because we realize during this time of COVID, you know, not, we were, we're not at full strength, you know, for our volunteers and people who serve regularly. Um, there's deeper commitments there, and people are stepping up. We're choosing to trust God in all of it, and it's a wonderful, awesome thing. God is calling us to a deeper place of trust with him. Church, are we ready? And are we content staying where we have been, in that middle ground, in that, what's next? I don't know what's next. Or, Are we ready to to move, to trust God, even though it's tough, to start moving towards the promised land? To say, God, reveal to me, show me in my life what you're working on. Can we trust in God to take those steps this morning?